Our guest today is Parthi Dadkarni. She's a global expert with more than 20 years of collaborative expertise in IP strategy, IP due diligence for merger and acquisitions, management of IP litigation through a cost-effective and business-driven strategy for generics and brands. She founded Appropriate IP Services in 2019 that works with healthcare companies to provide inputs on product identification and IP strategy, business development and regulatory services by providing a unique value to the client in working from product identification to product launch. She is the ex-global vice president for IP and portfolio planning for Sun Pharmaceutical Industries Limited, where she was responsible for product identification in regulated markets and IP strategy and litigation for all markets. She's passionate about starting her NGO for the care of elderly. She enjoys traveling and reading in her spare time. So Bharati, it's an honor and a privilege to have you with us here today for Woman to Woman podcast. Thank you, Devia. It's a pleasure to connect with you and to be on this podcast with you. I have known you for a while now. And one thing that never ceases to impress me is your memory power. So let me start there. Anything you can tell our listeners how you actually get to where you are today. You remember everything. Difficult numbers, (laughs) years old stuff, everything. How do you do that? Well, honestly, I think um, I don't take effort for it. I just feel that, you know, probably I'm very passionate about what I do. So I tend to remember. Uh, I do have one habit, though, that when I'm working, I'm a little old school. So I take a lot of notes for my own self. And I've realized over the years when I do that writing, it kind of gets etched in my brain. So I tend to remember. Of course, with age, I am beginning to lose a little bit of those details. So, you know, if 20 years back, I remembered a pattern number for a project. I knew pattern numbers for all the projects I was handling. Now I remember the year in which a pattern would expire or, you know, the top details, but I don't remember it all. But uh, I think um, it's also a little genetic. My mother is like that. She remembers everything. Uh, It's amazing. So I think I get a little bit of that from her. Who really shaped your life, you know, growing up? Were there certain people that really made you who you are today? Of course. I mean, you know, it takes a village to grow up a child, they say. Uh, So I think my mother has been a very big influence. Uh, In those days, I mean, she was somebody who graduated in the 60s. And um, she always wanted to be in the medical profession. But because of other family commitments that she had, she couldn't. So she picked up arts. But, uh, you know, she had this in her that no matter what faculty she took up, she wanted to be on top of it. She wanted to take the highest education in there. So she uh, did her bachelor's in um, English and then she did her master's with English and with Sanskrit. So in those days, she did a master's degree and uh, then she became a school teacher, enjoyed teaching students. Uh, then when she got married and had me, she had to give up because she had no support to take care of me. But uh, she has been very instrumental in making me the ambitious person that I am. You know, so this whole thing translated back into me to say that, you know, whatever it is that you do, reach the highest pinnacle that there can be in terms of, you know, getting the education there, learning out there and hard work. 
you know, hard work is something she always told me there's no substitute to hard work. The thing that she would tell me in those days, you know, when you're in school and you don't want to study or, you know, if a test paper marks kind of puts you down, she would always say that, you know, low aim is a crime. Work hard for it. Whatever happens, happens. She was not a helicopter mom or, you know, she did not micromanage me, but she did have an eye on me. There was a younger brother she had to take care of, but Somehow she put a lot of faith, trust and responsibility on me. So at a very young age, I started handling a lot of things on my own. Like I did all my studies. I don't remember her teaching me after, say, third or fourth grade. So, you know, the backing was there, but there that fear was not there. Or she didn't push me to a point that I got nauseated. It was great. Dad was there. Dad was like this... uh, great father who did not interfere in my studies but was always there to say you can do it and that was good you know because um, the appreciation was there but uh, there wasn't any kind of a push or stress that came from there but uh, dad was also somebody who helped me become a person who could take my own decisions he always wanted me to take my own decisions so there would be a lot of deliberation if required he would sit talk, hash things out with me, but the final call was mine. And then he would support completely. And both mom and dad, you know, they would be very supportive of everything that I did. So, you know, he was somebody who said, okay, you have to learn car driving. Now, back in India, in those days, that was not a common thing to do. You know, boys would learn driving, but girls, it was like, nah, you know, you did it, you did it. But my dad was like, no, you turn 18, you have to learn car driving. Next step was, you know how to drive the car, then now learn to change the tires. Should it, should you get a flat? He made me independent like that. He did several other financial things for me. He said, I'm starting this for you, learn them, and then become independent enough to handle them yourself. You know, whether it was in insurance policies or it was any financial investments. Um, you know, it was a very great atmosphere at home where there was a lot of discussion around classical music, about literature, science and everything. But there was also a lot of freedom to do whatever it is that I wanted to do. I got used to that, you know. So taking decisions for me became like the normal thing to do. How can you not take your own decisions? You know, you talk, you discuss with family, but you take your own decisions. That I think uh, in those early days uh, went a long way in making me who I am. And, you know, I owe it back. So the ambition comes from there. Um, The um, hard work, the need to uh, be your own person, to voice your uh, thoughts, to stand up against something that you don't like. All of that comes from family, you know, and um, eventually uh, after I got married also was very nice to have a family that was supportive, that understood all of this, that let me be me, you know, that I didn't have to change myself for somebody. It's a blessing to have something like that, but um, it goes a long way in making who you are, right? Ambition, right? A very strange word. It has a lot of positive connotations depending on how you use it. And then it's also used against women in many ways to say, oh, she's too ambitious. Have you had any instances like that where there were biases that kind of played against your ambition or the way you wanted to do things? All the time, right? When you grow up and your parents, your family, you talk about ambition, it's all about acquiring knowledge, understanding the world, going out there, do something that you love to do, add value in your own way to yourself and to people that you're around with. That is ambition. And true to that, even today for me, ambition is not becoming 
a CEO or not achieving a designation or a certain salary package. It's not that, but it's about who I am and what's the value that I bring to the table, wherever I may be in a, a professional setup, or I might be doing, you know, the work that I do with NGOs or just helping a friend, but it's the value that I bring. To me, that was always ambition. That always is ambition. When you step out though, and you go out with that confidence, I think even today, and I'm here 25 years into my career almost, and I still see it, it hasn't changed. Ambition, unfortunately, uh, gets looked upon as aggression. Uh, it is never looked upon even as passion. I would also think ambition is passion, right? You want to do something so passionately, that's your ambition. But it unfortunately gets looked upon for women as aggression and in the negative sense. Look, aggression can also be very positive. I'm aggressive enough to get a project done. I'm aggressive enough to pull down something that's wrong. But unfortunately, it always gets looked upon in the negative con context for women. And I've faced that so many times, you know, whether it was about uh, uh, getting a new project, whether it was about a promotion. Uh, it was always, I have had people quoting me saying that, oh, you're too aggressive. You intimidate people. You know, I have heard that coming. And I'm like, really? I'm just trying to do my job. And, um, you know, the best counter to that is when I think internally, it affects, of course, it affects when somebody says that. But the best counter I have found to it is that, uh, well, you know, who else could do this? Can somebody do what I am doing without, you know, doing it the way I am doing it? And I think that that um, is a good counter to have to your own self, because these things can really put you down. And um, I've had that happening. Uh, there have been um, seniors who've said that. There have been peers. There have been juniors who've said this to say that, you know, either I'm too ambitious because I just want to be everywhere. I want to uh, be noticed by people. I want to be appreciated all the time, which honestly is not what uh, you are looking at. You're just doing your job out there. You, know, you do it regardless. So, yeah, you do get that negative uh, thing all the time. Uh, sadly, it still doesn't change. Uh, but um, I think what has changed, though, I see, and I see that with the next generation like my daughter, is that women are now beginning to ignore that, move beyond it. So I think that is a big change, which I also want to embrace sometimes, you know, when these negative things hit you. So growing up, when you were a young girl, what did you want to be? You know, I think the only thing I remember wanting to be was I wanted to be a medical doctor. I really don't know how that came up within me. My mother may have spoken to me or I saw some doctors around. I don't have a vivid recollection of why, but I wanted to be a medical doctor. And so everything was, uh, uh, you know, directed that way. Like I took up the subjects accordingly, but um, I lost medicine by one mark. And uh, so the natural uh, step is to go for being a dentist. Now, I wasn't interested in being a dentist. So uh, my father said that, you know, we could take admission if you want to do medicine into a private college. 30, 35 years ago was paying big amount of money. And I was like, no, that's not done. You know, I can't be taxing my parents. What do you do next? No clue because I always thought about medicine, but then there were a few friends around who were taking admission for pharmacy. So <laughs> the thought was, okay, I didn't get medicine, don't want to do dentistry, uh, don't want to just do a simple bachelor of science. So let's do pharmacy. I had no clue what pharmacy is all about, except to say that, okay, it's about making medicines, but what are the finer nuances of it? I had no clue. 
And so there I was. And, uh, you know, in those days, somehow the timing of admissions was such that, you know, the pharmacy admissions happened earlier. So I just took the admission and there I was. But um, I think if I look back, apart from that one childhood thing that I wanted to be into medicine, I really never had a plan. So the day I lost my medicine admission by one mark, uh, somehow internally there was this thought process, okay, no more making plans. And from then I've never made plans. So my career is not a planned career. Things have just landed or have been thrown at me and I've just worked my way around it. So if I knew it well and good, if I didn't know, I worked hard on it, learned it, moved ahead, but I swallowed everything that got thrown at me and grew. So there was no plan. You know, I finished my bachelor's then I said, okay, let's do a master's. Again, parents were behind it saying, go ahead, do it. It'll always help in the long run. I did my master's and then I thought, okay, it's time to take a job. That, that's when I met my would-be husband. And uh, he and his family then, you know, were also quite uh, significant in, uh, you know, my thought processes changing. So my father-in-law at that point said, why won't you do a doctorate, a PhD? You know, 10 years down the line, it'll be very helpful. And I was like, okay. You know, why not? So a little bit against my wishes, but I enrolled in for a PhD and I went through it, did the research, did my thesis, submitted it. And now it was time to do what next? By which time I kind of had a government job, but I wasn't really interested in that job. It was in the, the analytical setup. I'm not a very lab person. You know, I don't have good hands, I think. Not something that makes me happy. In the 90s, what you did in India was you opened the Times of India and you started looking for vacancies or, you know, recruitments. And that's when I saw an advertisement for uh, a starting position in a pharma company uh, in the intellectual property cell. So I started looking at what is intellectual property. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is what intellectual property is all about. So I do my homework, I go for the interview and they're like, um, Okay, because they were looking at freshers. And uh, at that point, there was really no formal degree in IP in India. So they were looking at fresh PhD graduates, and I was one. So they offered me the job, um, and I took it up without negotiating anything, without understanding much. And I'm like, okay, whatever it is, I'll do it. So I joined uh, Sun Pharma in uh, 2000 in their intellectual property cell at the starting position. And learned everything on the job. Um, loved it and then after a few years I thought oh well you know I was made for this so you know that's how it was it wasn't planned but whatever happened I think was a good thing for me or I took it as a good thing worked on it evolved through the whole process uh, professionally as well as personally and again you know again at Sun as I grew uh, Lots of things got thrown at me. A lot of times they were not even remotely IP, but there was something to do with pharma, something to do with law, something overlapping maybe at times uh, with IP. And I took it up upon myself. Uh, I was lucky enough that, you know, the culture at the company was such that they let you do things. You know, it wasn't like poking nose in somebody else's affairs. It was just like a lateral development and it was supporting the organization. They were all for it. And I took it upon myself, you know, so that's how apart from deep diving into IP and learning IP, I also grew laterally to understand pharma processes, pharma details, pharma parameters, and 
grew. You know, eventually it helped me take better strategic decisions for IP, whether it was business or marketing, supply chain, R&D. I like to say this, that you throw a thing at me and I will deliver on it. Whatever it is, I will learn if I don't know, but I enjoyed every bit of what I did and I still do. And you're amazing at what you do. So somebody starting new in this field who wants to do IP because they're passionate about it, what would you suggest the path be? I know you took like a PhD path that's a little bit longer, but what would your um, advice be? So, uh, you know, in IP in India, typically, um, most uh, pharma companies have their own IP teams and these teams look for uh, pharma graduates with a master's degree or a PhD, it depends. Uh, typically, these are not law graduates, you know, unlike if you look in the US, uh, the IP teams that are in-house or law firms would always look at law graduates. That somehow is still not a requirement because these in-house teams want to have people who can do research work, you know, do a lot of searches, understand science and put things together. So it's good to even have a master's degree. Uh, and if that's what the requirement is, choose a good company. Don't just uh, go for something that looks good. Do some research into what the culture is. Who are the people you would closely be working with? Is it an inclusive company? You know, does it have a collegial atmosphere? Will you really get to learn much or are you going to be snubbed at everything? These are important things because this is the start of your career. You're going to be working in this field for a very long time, okay? The, the experiences that you have at the very beginning will make or break you. You may unfortunately start hating things just because you chose the wrong culture to work with or the wrong set of people to work with. Now, having said that, you go into a company with a full knowledge of all of this, but don't fail to negotiate what you're getting in terms of your salary. I think as women, we don't do that. We don't do it as freshers because we think, oh, well, you know, they're offering me a job. Take it. Why do you want to negotiate? When you're a little bit mid-career, you're like, oh, it's a good jump, right? Why should I they even thinking of me? And then when you're at a senior position, it's, it's, it's something else. But eventually, I see that women always fall short of negotiating something, of asking something. So do that, you know, ask. Talk to people, ask. It always helps to ask, not just for yourself, but even when you're doing an assignment, ask questions. Nothing is stupid, okay? We, we a lot of times assume the answers in our head. So the worst is that answer in your head, right? Which you already are living by. Might as well hear for somebody. But who knows? There is at least a 50% probability the answer is something very different and, you know, could give you a different course of action. My strong recommendation also is hard work. Till you reach your 40s, I think it's time to do a lot of hard work because that's the base. Once you've done that hard work, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence. You feel a lot secure in your position. You kind of feel like you're the master of the subject. Nobody can question you uh, in terms of, I don't mean like from an authority perspective, questioning, but I mean like, you know, if, if somebody asks you, you know the answer to it, or you know where to look for it, or what kind of research to do around it. That's the position you should be in. It gives you a lot of credibility because of that. The confidence takes you a long way. And I don't think anybody can then intimidate you. And I think being secure and not being intimidated by anybody are two strongest things that you must have. Because unfortunately, as women, it's very easy for people to just shake you. So you must do what it takes to not let that affect you. A large part of that comes from the hard work that you put in in your subject matter. You've got all the answers. You can throw it at them and say, no, I know what I'm saying. 
be honest. There are a lot of times when you've done an assignment and you've come up with an answer, but probably your boss or the management wants to hear something else, but just be honest about it. Because I think you are being paid and you are at that position to do a good job of that assignment, not to please somebody, right? So I think that's important. In the long run, that that makes a big, big difference to um, what comes your way. Being yourself is important. Don't try to be somebody else. You know, at least I've seen in India and I don't think it's very different globally. Uh, we as women, uh, Try to be in everybody's good books. It could be the person who joined your team yesterday, or it could be the CEO of the company. But you just try to be in everybody's good books. You try to be that superwoman. Don't do that. It's not possible. Superwoman exists only in comic strips. Uh, we're all superwomen, but of a different kind. So learn to use your power as a woman very differently. But most importantly, ask for help. Asking for help does not make you small in any way or does not mean that you lack anything. I learned this uh, the hard way. I wanted to do everything at home. I wanted to do everything at work. In the process, I was getting completely sapped physically and mentally till a point when uh, I took help and I was told you need help to bring down your burden. And that's when, you know, and it could be any kind of help uh, in terms of getting a cook, getting a maid, or just delegating work to people at home. Sometimes we just don't do that and, you know, kill ourselves. Do it. It's very important to ask for that help on your team or at home and uh, staying sane. You know, that that's what will keep you sane. And I think uh, at the end of the day, I like to sleep easy. When you do all of this, when you're honest, you've not hurt anybody. You've not done anything that's really wrong. I sleep easy. And I think that's something that I would tell everybody because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So you mentioned actually two really good points. First was asking for help. Were there any mentors along the way that you asked for help, whether it be just grounding yourself in what needs to happen because they've walked this path before? Yes, I did take a professional leadership mentor uh, about seven years ago. So, uh, which was almost about... 12 to 14 years into my career. Up until that point, you talk to friends, you talk to your spouse, uh, try to take help on uh, help, uh, situations that you're facing with. Uh, but uh, somehow, you know, it becomes a little difficult because this is not professional help that's really coming your way. Um, it's, it's all good intention, but sometimes it may not be professional. And so uh, sometime in 2014, at the recommendation of some friends and colleagues, I came across this wonderful woman uh, who's a leadership mentor, and she continues to be my leadership mentor. This is uh, Nirupama Subramanian. And uh, she has been extremely instrumental in uh, shaping my thought process. Uh, so this uh, asking for help is where... Uh, came through my sessions with Nirupama, where she made it amply clear to me that, you know, this, this is the issue. It's not about uh, whether I'm capable. It's not about, am I doing enough? It's about simply getting more time to yourself. So ask for that help, you know? So uh, that's when I decided. And uh, in terms of taking help uh, at home, I had big family support, that's great. But still, when you have family, uh, sometimes you feel awkward. Sometimes you feel egoistic to ask for help. Uh, I decided to share that. So uh, I, I didn't feel any issues with asking my mother-in-law to take care of my daughter when I was traveling or when I would be late someday. And you know, 
its grandmother taking care of her granddaughter i was most relaxed you know because she took better care than i could ever have so my mother in law has been very very um, helpful in me being a, a professional person you know and it goes a long way so uh, that help to ask and say i can't do this can you do this today and leave it to her that trust that faith it goes a long way uh, so even at work um delegating more uh trusting people creating a camaraderie between uh, team people or uh, you know up until the time i took mentorship i never had written down goals of uh, like i said i have had an unplanned career i live too much in today i don't think of tomorrow so there was no written vision goals uh, or path to it and nirupama helped me with all of that so not a conscious reading on what my shortfalls are how to correct that even if it meant something as simple as mindfulness so that mentoring helped and that's something that i would recommend to everybody taking some professional help because friends help of course but taking a professional mentor's help is always uh, very very different and i can say that from personal experience so that mentoring uh, has gone a long way and even now when i uh, stepped out of a corporate career and started on my own i was aware of my shortfalls because of my interactions with nirupama and i again took sessions with her saying that look i'm starting a new phase and i know these are my fears and i know that you know uh, so for example um, you know i'm somebody who's always worried about marketing myself because i in my head it is bragging about yourself and you can't do that it's a strict no no you can't blow your own trumpet maybe it's you know how society is it's how you are brought up you're always like oh your work will speak for you sure but when you're starting your own business you have to pitch how do i do that you know it was a mental block and that mentoring helped uh, it it helped uh, to say that uh, to separate the failure of a team uh, which i was taking as a personal failure and killing myself for it and you know that distinction to say that no you have to have a difference between team and you or now my organization that i have set up and me there is a difference and learn to keep that difference so you need a lot of guidance in that and i'm glad that that mentoring has helped me take it smoothly so you have seen a lot of women at work and i'm sure you have cringed at some of the things either they said or they did and you're like oh don't don't do that you know <laughs> were there any instances like that what would be the things that you would ask a mid career woman to watch out for so i think a uh, lot of times you do it unintentionally right uh, out of fear out of uh, insecurities or simply culture a lot of times but you need to change that so i see women saying sorry a lot of times for no reason i mean why do you want to say sorry it's okay um, sometimes i mean a justification is required but you don't have to be apologetic about it you know so women bend backwards i think in trying to justify something or saying i'm sorry or even if it could be you know uh, going for uh, say a pta you know you got to be there uh, and your boss has allowed you but then you overcompensate by either saying sorry or you know working extra hours or something as small as that or sometimes stepping into the room and automatically just taking a subservient position nobody asked for it but it just happens so you let the man in the room take charge uh, although you might be peers although you might actually be the one who's bringing the value there and who's called the meeting so i think you know be aware of your position and just stick to it just um, we have a lot of culture here in india to just address everybody as sir and madam i don't think you know there is a need for that uh, 
step away from that, try to be a little different because I think it sets the tone of the dialogue that follows. Uh, saying sir automatically means taking a subservient position. Why would you want to do that? Be equals, you know, and I think that's more important. There are other times I have seen that women beat themselves up for dressing up. Seemingly a small thing, but um, so for example, I love dressing up and I dress up for myself. I don't dress up to show anybody anything. Uh, there are days when I feel low, I dress up. There are days I want to feel confident, I dress up. And I've always seen that it picks me up. I am a better version of myself than I dress up. So I do it for myself. I have heard women, and it's appalling sometimes to say that, oh, if you dress up, you, you will take the attention away from your presentation. I don't think so, uh, because uh, your body language speaks for you. Uh, and I think uh, the kind of person that you are, the world knows you. If you put across that no nonsense uh, board out there, I don't think anybody can cross that. And uh, so I think it's important to give that message out about uh, that you won't tolerate any nonsense, that you will give it back. So uh, people must know what is acceptable and what is not. If they don't understand, make it very clear. That is extremely important. And it's okay to call out and say, hey, I don't like this. Now, it could be um, in front of the a group. Sometimes that's necessary because the person's being nasty. But sometimes maybe take it uh, a sidebar and explain. There are other times when, um, you know, in uh, unfortunately, because the number of women uh, is far too small, there are meetings or gatherings where women are low in number. So you kind of tend to uh, be in the minority and uh, there is there are situations where people will just not hear you intentionally, unintentionally, I don't know. But I think if you are in a meeting, if you've been invited to a meeting, you are not a piece of furniture, so speak up make your presence felt, make your thoughts, uh, let them go out there. You worked hard for it. You've got your head on your shoulders. You're not speaking just, just like that, right? So be confident, speak up. Uh, but there are times when uh, things tend to get a little difficult. Uh, despite your efforts, you may not be heard. What I tend to do in these kind of situations is try and catch that person individually, alone, at a good time and explain your issue saying that, look, I don't think this was right. This is what I was trying to say. Maybe you misunderstood. So make that dialogue, but do make that dialogue because it goes a long way in setting the tone of things that comes later, because at least then you've made your point and at least the same thing won't happen with the same person. These are few things you must follow, but don't get overtly impacted by what you wear, uh, whether you talk loudly, whether you talk too much, uh, whether you're friendly with people, whether you go and visit people at their desks. I think it's extremely nice as a team leader. I would prefer go and to do discussions by going to people's desks. That doesn't mean I'm out there to show something or it's genuine. So be genuine, be yourself. And I think, you know, that's most important. That's great advice. So when you get stressed, what are some of the things that you do outside of work to de-stress? I think music and reading is what comes to me uh, most uh, naturally. It Music definitely soothes me down. So even if that means just getting into my car, raising the volume and singing loudly, I think that's best. That kind of 
really, really most quickly uh, de-stresses me. Uh, that's the best thing to do. Um, of course, spending some time with pets helps, you know, because it's unconditional. They don't judge you. So it's very nice, take you to a different world and, you know, just makes me very peaceful. But I think largely music and reading. Uh, I try to read something that non-fictional. I'm, I'm a big fan of biographies and autobiographies. If you got an evening to hang out with any two personalities that you most admire, who would they be and why? Well, that's a tough one, but um, I have uh, this very close friend of mine and um, I like to say she's my soul twin. Um, and, you know, it's a story for another day, but I think our lives have been very parallel and uh, parallel to a point that it's eerie. So she's somebody who understands me, um, doesn't judge me, is not opinionated about me, but is brutally honest with me also to uh, call out my mistakes. Uh, but she's also somebody who supports me no matter what. So, you know, the whole world could be on one side, but she'll be on one side. So I think she's that one person that I'd uh, love to spend an evening with any day. So in closing, any advice for women who want to be leaders like you? Get to the top of everything, if it means uh, a degree. I felt after doing a PhD and after almost 10 to 12 years into my career, I thought a management degree made a big, big difference to me in terms of perspectives, in terms of thought processes, uh, in handling professionally. That's helpful. So if if that helps, take it. Taking a mentor always helps. The other thing is ask for assignments. Ask for lateral moves. Ask for additional stuff that's currently outside your profile. Uh, sometimes it might just seem like a pro bono thing to do, but do it because it just adds a lot of value to you. You grow differently. Um, learning how to manage people, I think, is something that's uh, that should be the top of the charts for everybody because eventually, at the end of the day, it's about managing people. 80% of your time uh, at whatever position you are goes in managing people. Sometimes you need to change the way you deal with and you don't deal with two people in the exact same way. You always do it differently. So get those soft skills to help grow. You know, as women, I think we are extremely great on EQ. Build on that. Sense people and do things for them. It goes a long way, I have seen, in managing teams. Share, your, share the team's uh, success. Try to just take the blame on yourself. It's difficult at times, but it goes a long way. And I think, you know, just... Uh, at the ground level and understanding issues, sorting them out for people, being there, get a mentor who tells you what you need to do, what you are lacking in, uh, because it, it's not easy. You know, when you're in the thick of things, sometimes it's difficult to understand what you're lacking or what needs to be done differently. A balcony view of yourself is very difficult because it's an out-of-body experience. So if you can have a mentor, it's always great. Uh, take it, you know, uh, learning to take that uh, Criticism is also important. There will come a time, you know, when uh, you have to balance between work life and uh, those difficult situations do come in. So have that great bonding with your partner, with your family, because uh, eventually family is everything and uh, your happiness comes from there. When we as women start our career, we, we are also getting married. We're also having a child at around the same time and you're also going up the career path. It's extremely difficult. You 
you being a mother uh, when you have zero experience of being a mother you're climbing up the career ladder when you know nothing right you're starting with zero experience. so you're doing a lot of things with zero experience and doing it for the first time there are bound to be mistakes and those mistakes make you who you are but um, take that help like i've been saying take that mentor that's extremely helpful and uh, just just fight it out you know because uh, we've got it on ourselves and uh, uh, the guilt sometimes from spending too much time at professional uh, front comes uh, because of uh, less time with family i have found it extremely helpful to be honest and share everything with my daughter and my husband uh, so they understand my passion they understand my issues that way they are more supportive I have never seen my daughter come back and say you don't spend time with me because she sees what I'm doing and uh, she's equally passionate about my career you know so that dialogue is helpful always whether it's with family or is with your team members so you know these are the few things that have helped me and I'm sure will help others thank you so much this was all great advice uh, great instances that we can all learn from so it was a pleasure having you on thank you so much bharti thanks devya it's a pleasure to talk to you